Well, when I was in elementary school and middle school in the 90s, anybody born in the 90s? Okay, so some, we, got some, we got some 90s babies in here, all right. So I, I was in uh, elementary school and middle school in the 90s. And, and in those days, if you wanted to be cool, like if you wanted to be popular, you had to have Jabot jeans, okay? Any of you ever heard of Jabot jeans? Like you've, <laughs> like a few, okay. So you had to have Jabot jeans though. Those were the popular jeans. Like those were the expensive jeans that everybody was buying. And so, you know, I had some, okay. I had some Jabot jeans. I asked my mom for them. She's like, no, we, you know, we're not going to just get them on any occasion, but we'll get them for Christmas, birthdays, things like that. And so I, I had Jabot jeans. Now my wife, on the other hand, okay. When she was in elementary school and middle school, we met in seventh grade here uh, in middle school here in Lubbock. And when she was in elementary school and middle school, and she asked her parents for Jabot jeans. Her parents were like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. No, no, those are way too expensive. We're not ever buying those kinds of jeans, but here's what we will do. Here's what we could do. Listen, this would be really great. We could make some jeans. Like we could make our own jeans and you could put your name on your own jeans and you could wear like your own jeans that you made to which she was like, no way. Like there's no chance I'm making my own jeans. You see, here's the thing with Jabot jeans. Jabot jeans had this tag. It was on the fly, like on the outside. And it said Jabot jeans. And so that's how you knew they were Jabot's because they had that tag on the outside of the fly, like right on your crotch. That's where the tag was. And I was upset when my wife told me that she didn't want to make her own jeans. I was like, babe, we could have been like denim moguls. Like we could have had like tons and tons of money. We could have been like the it jeans. My wife's name is Darby Joe. That's her middle name. Her middle name's Doe. I'm like, Joe, I'm like, we could have had Darby Joe's. We could have had Darby Joe's written on our crotch. I mean, doesn't, isn't that what every one of you want? Like as a pair of jeans with my wife's name on it on the crotch. I mean, I know that's really like what you want deep down inside, but she didn't go for it. And so unfortunately we're not denim moguls like at all. And, and so, but that, that was the popular jeans back then. But fads change, style changes, technology changes. You know, when I was growing up, phones had cords. I told my boys that they were like, what? Like, no, that's stupid. Like they were making fun of me because I grew up in an era where phone had phones had cords. I remember being in a truck with my dad and he had this like big bag cell phone thing that was in his truck. And, and he told me, he said, Hey, Clayton, one day, nobody's going to have a home phone. They're all going to have these mobile phones, but they're going to be in their pockets. And I remember thinking as a kid, you're crazy. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Like how could we ever get rid of home phones? But sure enough today, I don't know about you. I don't have a home phone. You got a, a home phone in your dorm or in your house. Do they even have phone jacks in the dorms anymore? No. Yeah. You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Phones used to have cords and they used to be plugged into a wall. <laughs> So technology changes. Seasons of life change. We've got three kids right now, uh, 12, nine, and my youngest is six, my daughter, Nixon. And so we're out of the baby face. No more diapers, praise God. Uh, no more formula, all those kinds of, where those, those days are kind of over for us. But we've had recently two new Walker baby nieces. They're both about eight months old. They were born like a day apart from each other uh, in December. 
And so they're amazing. They're so cute. And so we get to see them. Uh, we watch them every once in a while. My wife does. And every time she's been around them, I'm like, Hey babe, are you getting baby fever again? And she's like, Nope, no, I'm good. No, I'm totally good. Like I'm great. Just holding, watching and being a great aunt and just, here you go. Right back to the parents. Like that was a great season for us. Like I loved it. We loved having babies, but she says, I'm done. Nope. I'm good. And I'm like, good. Cause it's too late. Can't go back. So no more kids for us. But seasons of life change. Everything is changing. And most of us, most of us, we don't really handle like major change very well. Now, I'm sure a lot of you would say like, I would love for there to be a change in my finances or my car or my living situation or whatever. Like those are upgrades, okay? But we're talking about like scenery altering kind of changes, like landscape altering kinds of changes, like major changes in your life. Like moving from one city to another. Like from leaving the house you grow up in to living in a dorm or a house or apartment, like away from your family. Like having the comfort and the security of like, everything you've ever known around you and that all being gone, like literally within 24 hours, at least feeling like it is. I mean, these are major changes. And oftentimes we don't respond well to these major, like scenery altering kinds of changes, like landscape altering kinds of changes. So how do we, how do we deal with these kinds of, of changes? Because my, my guess is most of us, like if we had the Lamp, we had the genie offering us the wishes. We would say, I, I wish my life would not change. Like I wish the pillars of my life, like the scenery in my life would not change. Let me show you more about, about what I'm talking about. Go to Psalm 46. If you have a Bible, uh, go on your phone to raiderchurch.com, select message notes, follow along with us. The verses will be there. You can fill in the blank as you go and take notes and then email it to yourself. If you're a digital person like I am. Uh, so raiderchurch.com, select message notes, and you can follow along with us. But we'll have the verses here on the screen, but let's go. Psalm 46 is where we've been in this series, starting in verse one. And here's, uh, here's what the psalmist says. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So in week one, we said in times of trouble, and Jesus said we would go through many troubles in this life, that in times of trouble, God wants to be your refuge and strength, your place of safety and your source of power. He wants to help you in times of trouble. And so we talked about that in week one. Then it says this in verse two. So... We will not fear when the earthquakes come. So last week we talked about dealing with anxiety and pressure and fear. And when your whole world's crumbling around you and underneath you and not being able to control it, what do we do? How do we respond in those times? And now the end of verse two. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains, watch this, crumble into the sea. You got a mountain crumbling into a sea. It totally changes the landscape. It totally changes the scenery. Like this is a major change. This is the loss of a loved one. A family member, a friend. It's been a stable presence in your life, like a pillar in your life. And that person dies. 
What do you do? Like, how do you respond to Like I'm talking about after the funeral and the family and the friends have all gone back home, you've gone back home and now you're in a new world, a new life without that person. This is the loss of a job. This is the loss of a relationship. Maybe a friendship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That can be a major change in your life that can totally derail you. This is moving to a new city, a new home, a new bed, a new school, new people, new friends, new schedule, I mean, new everything. This is the college experience. Dealing with some of the most massive change you will deal with in your life. And Sometimes we respond well to that. Sometimes we don't respond so well to that. So how, how do we respond? Well, Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, one of the most famous kings in Israel's history, towards the end of his life, looked back on his life, and, and here's what he had to say about life. Here's what he said. He said, for everything there is a season. For everything... There is a a season and seasons by definition change. Like you don't get to go back to the season we just came out of. Seasons by definition change. And sometimes we find ourselves like stuck in an old season or wanting to go back to the previous season. We liked how things were there. We were comfortable there. We were comfortable with our our surroundings, with the scenery, with the landscape. We were comfortable in that season, but the season has changed. And sometimes we find ourselves wanting to prolong that old season, go back to that old season. It's just not possible. Sometimes in a new season, we get stuck or, or paralyzed out of fear. We don't take those uncomfortable steps that it takes to actually move forward and experience everything this new season has to offer. But watch what Solomon would continue to say later in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. He says this, so for everything, there's a season, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. In other words, for this season, God wants to make everything beautiful beautiful in this time, in this season. And God's beauty in this season isn't necessarily going to look like or match God's beauty in the previous season. And his beauty in this season isn't necessarily going to look like or match his beauty in the next season. It could look different in each season because God makes everything beautiful for its own time in that season. But here's what you can know. Even though seasons are always changing, God wants to do something beautiful right now in your life in this season. So then the question becomes, how do I experience God's beauty in this season of my life? How do I respond to being in this new season of life with this new scenery, with this new landscape? so that I can experience all that God has for me in this season, so that I can experience his beauty that he has for me in this season. Number one, look up. To experience God's beauty in this season, first, you need to look up. What do you mean look up? I mean like look up to God. 
Let's go back to Psalm 46. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 46, that in the middle of all the the change and the crumbling and the chaos and, and the wars and the trouble that we've looked at over the past few weeks, here's what the psalmist says in verse eight. He says, come see the glorious works of the Lord. So in the middle of all this change and chaos and fear and pressure, God is working and moving, the psalmist says. God is working like in the midst of the change and in this new season, God's up to something. He's moving and working. And then the psalmist says this, come see the glorious works of the Lord. Then verse 10, and be still and know that I'm God. So again, when we're faced with a new season, when the landscape changes, when your scenery in life changes, we're to know that God is working. And then the psalmist says, be still and no, like in the middle of this change and in this new scenery, you need to get away from everything else and be still and focus on God. Know that I am God. So you could say it like this. Here's what I think the psalmist is saying. Okay. Here's what I think he's saying. When change happens, be still and know, know what? That God is always moving and working. Come see the glorious works of the Lord that he wants to do in this season of your life. It's like Jesus said in John chapter five. Jesus said this, my father is always working. He's always up to something. My father is always working. And then watch what Jesus said. So I watch what he's doing and then I just do what the father's doing. I join the father in what he's already doing. So the father's moving and working. I see what he's doing. I see how he's moving and working. And then Jesus said, I always do it, just do what my father is doing. Like I'm always up to what he's up to. Henry Blackaby said it like this in his study called Experiencing God. He said this, look for where God is working and join in there. So in this new season of your life, God is working. Jesus said so because the father's always working. So he's working in this new season of your life. So look for where he's working. Look for where he's moving. Look for what he's saying to you and wants to do in your life in this season and what he wants to do through your life for the sake of others in this season. Look for where God is working and join him there when this season changes, when the scenery changes, when the landscape changes. Look for where God's working. It may not feel like he is right now. You may not be able to put your finger on what he's doing and where he's working, but look for where God is working and then join him in what he's doing. We don't get God to, do, to join us in our agenda and what we're doing. It's quite the opposite for a follower of Jesus to say, no, God, what are you doing? And I will join you in what you're doing. So look up. When you hit a new season, Listen, for those of you that are like, you've done some college, like you've got some out of the way and there's a new season that's coming, whether you realize it or not, like you're going to graduate and it's either going to be like grad school or a job or maybe another move. Like unless you get a job like here in, in, in Lubbock, okay, a new season is coming your way. For some of you, it's this next semester. For some of you, it's in the next year or in the next two years, but there's always a a new season coming. And so when that season comes, the first thing you do is look up, God, what are you doing? What are you wanting me to do? What are you saying? How are you moving and working? And I'll join you there. Number two, we look around. When you hit a new season, when the landscape changes, when the scenery changes, you 
you look around. Here's what I mean. In Acts chapter nine, Paul, the guy who used to like kill and murder Christians, put him in prison and had him stoned to death. Like this is, this is a rough dude. Sees Jesus risen from the grave, literally like on a journey to another city to put more Christians in jail and stone them to death. And Jesus appears to him. Paul's blinded. As a result, Jesus tells him, hey, Paul, you're going to be my missionary. You're going to be my preacher to the Gentiles. And so Paul, because he sees Jesus risen from the grave with his own two eyes, because he's commissioned by Jesus himself, he becomes Apostle Paul. That's how we know him as the Apostle Paul. An apostle is someone who saw Jesus and someone who'd been commissioned by Jesus. And so Paul's an apostle because he saw Jesus and he was commissioned by Jesus. So, I mean, can you picture this kind of drastic change? Like the one that you hated, the one that you didn't believe in, the one that you're literally killing people for believing in appears to you and is like, hey, Paul, I'm God. Quit hurting my people. Quit hurting my kids. Leave my kids alone. And in fact, your life's going to be totally changed. You're going to start preaching and telling other people that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God. And Paul ends up giving his life, dying as a martyr, Preaching, never stop preaching that Jesus is in fact the son of God. So a massive change has just taken place in Paul's life. And he's blind, he can't see in this moment. And God tells a man by the name of Ananias to go and pray for Paul to receive his sight. And Ananias is like, no, God, you, I don't think I heard you right. Like you must've been joking. Cause this guy like kills Christians. So I, I don't really want to go hang out with Paul. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to go hang out with Paul. You're going to pray for him. Um, he's actually really praying for the first time in his life. He's not just going through the religious routine. He used to be, he's really actually praying. He knows me. His, his life's been changed. Ananias goes, lays hands on him, prays for him. Paul receives his sight. He begins preaching the good news about Jesus. And then he tries to join the fellowship of the believers there in Jerusalem. But again, they don't want to have anything to do with him because they're scared to death of him. And a guy by the name of Barnabas comes in Acts chapter nine to Paul. Literally, it's like he's taken him by the hand and he vouches for him. He takes him to the community of believers. He's like, Hey guys, listen, this guy's the real deal. His life's been changed. He saw Jesus. He's been preaching about Jesus. This is the real deal. Barnabas takes him to the fellowship of the believers. He connects them to the church, the rest of the church, which then becomes a comfort and source of encouragement and support for Paul and his missionary journeys. So in the middle of this huge change in Paul's life, completely helpless at this point because he's blind, God sends Ananias and Barnabas to lay hands on him and pray for him and to literally take him by the hand to help him or to connect him with the fellowship of believers. So what does that mean? It means you need to watch out for your Ananias. You need to look out for your Barnabas. Then in the midst of your scenery altering change your landscape altering change when you enter into that new season you need to be on the lookout who's the ananias that's going to pray for me and comfort me who's the barnabas that's going to take me by the hand and connect me to their circle sometimes you're going to have to look out for that person 
But sometimes you're going to have to go find that person, which is even harder. You have to be the one to kind of step out in faith and look for the Ananias, look for the Barnabas that will connect you to the rest of the body of Christ. That can be that source of comfort and encouragement for you. And a lot of times that's just a friend saying, hey, can I pray for you? Or it's a friend saying, hey, come with me to this. And you need to receive that and respond to that. See, a lot of times in a new season, we want to isolate ourselves. We don't want to leave the house. Sometimes we don't even want to get out of bed because of the fear of kind of putting yourself out there. But in a new season, you need to look around. That often means stepping out watching for that Ananias, watching for that Barnabas that will connect you to their circle. And we all need that. Every one of us, God's designed us to do the Christian life in community with other followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the breaking of bread and prayer. In other words, these new baby Christians devoted themselves together. They did this together. They did the Christian life together. You need a circle where you can pursue Jesus together with other followers of Jesus. And oftentimes it's going to take an Ananias or a Barnabas that'll literally take you by the hand or pray for you and get you connected to that circle, to that community of believers. I think it's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, we comfort people, we comfort others with the comfort we've been given. We're supposed to comfort each other. And I wonder if Paul said that because he had been comforted by Ananias and by Barnabas who got him connected to the body of Christ. So we got to look around for our Ananias, for our, our Barnabas. And then finally, we got to look out. Look out in a new season. It's going to be tough. It's going to be uncomfortable. But it takes stepping into the uncomfortable to experience the beauty that God has for you in this season. It's not gonna be easy. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram at that time. He would become Abraham, but he comes to Abram in Genesis 12. And he says, hey, Abram, uh, you're gonna leave your home, your country and everything you know, and you're gonna go to this new land I'm gonna show you. And if you're like me, you would have been like, uh, no, God, I, I need to know where you're sending me. Like, are we going to Abilene? Are we going to Houston? Are we going to Dallas? Are we going to Austin? I mean, like, where are you sending me? Because I'm not going to just start like walking or driving and just kind of feel out where I'm going to go next and where I'm going to move my family to. But that's what God tells Abram. Hey, pick up your stuff, leave your home, leave your country and go to this place. I'm going to show you along the way. Like I'll lead you there. Abram had to step into what was uncomfortable in order to experience the beauty that God had waiting for him in this new season. I was at a conference, it's called the Global Leadership Summit, a few weeks ago, and they bring in speakers from all over the world and they broadcasted all these locations and Lubbock had a, a host site. And so I, I went and there's pastors and business leaders and business owners from all over the place that were, that were there. And, and uh, there was this lady named Danielle Strickland and she speaks all over the world and great author. And um, she said that there's five stages of transition. And, and here, here's what they are. The five stages of transition. She said, are, first of all, you've got a settled present where everything feels like home where you're comfortable, where you're comfortable with your surroundings, with the scenery, with the landscape. You're comfortable. Next comes the unsettled present. 
where a change is coming, a change is imminent, you know it's happening or it's beginning to happen and you begin to be unsettled by that. You begin to get nervous. You begin to get uncomfortable. The next stage in transition, she said, is chaos. Where you have no idea what's going on. Nothing feels like home. You feel like a visitor in every place that you're at. You're not comfortable with your surroundings. It's absolute chaos. But you're in a new season. You begin to look up. You're looking around. You're, you're looking out. You're stepping into the discomfort. And the fourth stage of transition is the unsettled new where you're stepping into the new, but you're still a little unsettled. You're not sure of what to make of all of it yet, but you're taking some steps into this unsettled new. And as you take those steps and as you step out into the uncomfortable, it results in the fifth stage of transition, which is a new normal. The new normal, the new home where you do feel comfortable with who you are and with your surroundings and with what's going on. That's the new normal. And then she said this, in order for there to be change in your life and to fully embrace this new season that you're entering, here's what she said. Always a change in the future means a disturbance in the present. A change in your future always means there's going to be a disturbance like an uncomfortable step, discomfort in your presence. If you are going to experience God's beauty in this new season, it always means stepping into that disturbance and through that disturbance and into what is uncomfortable because a change in the future, a change in season, which is always happening, always means a disturbance in your present. You know, when Abram stepped into the new season that God had for him, it totally altered the identity of his life and his entire family. I mean, for generations to come, people would refer to the God of Israel as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not only that, when God would begin to speak or introduce himself to people, he would actually introduce himself by saying, I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, stepping into what's uncomfortable, stepping out like Abram did, could totally alter the identity of your entire family tree, of generations to come. That's how powerful it is to trust God in this new season. It could totally alter your identity and the identity of your family that's to come for generations. We'll step into this new Season. Abram stepped into a new, uncomfortable season by leaving everything that he had known. And in doing so, he experienced the beauty of the new season. And his family, for generations to come, experienced the beauty that came from Abraham's faith. And Abram would become known as Father Abraham, the father 
of the nation, the people that God chose to be his special and prized possession on this earth. The people through which God would reveal himself to the rest of the world. The people through which he would give his law and the Ten Commandments and the, uh, the temple and the worship of the one true God. I mean, this is the people that God chose to make himself known, to reveal himself to the rest of the world through. And it was through Father Abraham. You know, one of the other points of massive change in Israel's history was when Moses died. I mean, imagine being Israel and Moses has been the one to lead you out of slavery from the Egyptians. He's been the one to speak with God up on Mount Sinai and receive the law from God and bring down the 10 commandments. He's the one that came down from the mountain with his face shining and glowing from being in the presence of God. So much so that the people didn't want to look at him. They asked to put a veil over his face. This is the same guy, this is the Moses who would go into the tent of meeting to meet with God and this cloud, this pillar of fire would come down into this tent of meeting, like come down from heaven and would meet with Moses and everyone else would come out of their tents and bow down and worship because God was meeting with a man. This is that Moses and he died because God said, Moses, you aren't gonna lead my people into the promised land. Like everything I've been promising for my people, your time's up. So Moses took them to the edge of the Jordan River. And at this moment in Israel's history, when Moses dies, talk about a major season change, like a scenery altering kind of change, a landscape altering kind of change. I mean, this is a massive major pillar in Israel's history. And he's gone. He's dead. Now what are we going to do? How are we going to go into the promised land and receive everything that God has promised us? How are we going to step into this new season without Moses, the one that we're comfortable with leading us? Joshua chapter one, verse one. Here's how God addresses this new season that they're about to enter. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. So in this new season, God wants to speak to you. He's always moving. He's always working. God wants to speak to you. So look up and see, what are you doing? What are you saying to me in this new season? Because when the season changes, God wants to speak to you. And he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come. It's a new season. The old season was great. I used Moses in great and mighty ways, but a new season has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. And I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be, watch this, on land I've already given you. So Moses, here's what you need to understand in this, or Joshua, in this new season, everywhere you go, you're stepping foot on land I've already given you. I've already given you this season. I've already given it to you. It's yours. You can own this season because I'm giving it to you. So everywhere you step your foot, I'll be on land I've given you from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates river in the east, to the Mediterranean sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. And Joshua, know this, for I will be with you. In this new season, Joshua, I'm going to be with you 
just like I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you in this new season. So be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. So Joshua, imagine being Joshua. Moses has just died. God's saying, you're gonna lead these people in the same way that Moses has, you're gonna lead them. Imagine being Joshua in this new season with this new mantle of leadership and responsibility. Can you imagine the insecurity he must have felt taking over from Moses? I mean, most coaches in sports don't ever survive taking over for a legend, right? They almost always fail. They almost never live up to the legend that came before them. So imagine being Joshua, you're taking over from Moses. Imagine the insecurity, the fear, the discomfort that this new season must have meant for Joshua. And God says, Joshua, in this new season, I'm gonna speak to you. I'm gonna be with you. I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna fail you. Just like I was with Moses, I'm gonna be with you. And in this new season, I've already given it to you. I've already given you this season. It's going to be a beautiful season. You know, a little over a year ago, last summer, Mark, one of our pastors, Brandon, one of our pastors and I, A lot of our friends came together and decided, hey, we wanna plant a new church. And so last summer, we felt like God was leading us to do that. And so last fall, a year ago, we started this church, the City Church. And now Raider Church is our college ministry. But when we started that church, it was stepping into a new role. It was a new season for me. I hadn't done this before. I'd led ministries. I'd been the executive pastor of huge, massive churches. I've been a youth pastor, college. I've done, I've done a lot of different things. I'd never been like the lead pastor, like of an entire church. And so I'd led Raider church and things like that, but we felt called to plant this new church. So we're stepping into this new season and I'll never forget like the very first week between the city and Raider church, we had over a thousand people and it was unreal. Like the very first week between the two services, we had over a thousand people. And I left the night, Wednesday night, because Raider Church used to be on Tuesdays. So that Wednesday night after the city, I knew how many people we just had in two days, very first week of this new church. And I left that night terrified. In fact, I was in my car crying, saying, what am I doing? Why did I do this? Why did I risk like the livelihood for my family and and all these other families of these people that are on our team? Like, why did I do, how could I have done this? Like, this was a terrible idea. We just had over a thousand people in two services our very first week. And I left overwhelmed with fear and self-doubt and insecurity. I can't do this. How could I possibly do? Like, I'll never be able to do, like I was overwhelmed. I was panicking on my drive home thinking this will never work. This was a terrible idea. And on my way home, Mark texted me and that night after the service, there was a girl who was working the front counter at this place we were renting out. She hadn't been in church since she was a little girl. 
She wasn't a believer. But from where she was sitting, she could hear the music and she heard the message. And that night she said, I'd never felt the power and presence of God before, but that night I felt him. I had a lot of reasons and excuses for not believing, but I, but I couldn't deny my own experience. And so Mark texted me that literally as I'm driving home, he had this conversation with this girl. And I got home and I just began to cry because it was like God knew exactly what I was going through and knew that exactly what I needed in this new season. I just needed that reassurance that God was there, that he was with me, that he wouldn't fail me, that he wouldn't abandon me in this new season. And over the last year, through the city and Raider Church and our jail ministry called Hope City and everything else we've done, I mean, just in this last year, we've had over a couple of hundred people commit their life to Jesus. It's been absolutely amazing. And God has blessed my life over this last year through the fear, through the insecurity, through all the self-doubt, through a new scenery and a new landscape. At the very same time, it's been one of the most beautiful seasons of my life. God will make everything beautiful in this time. It may not feel like it, it may not seem like it right now at the moment, but God has promised that he will make everything beautiful in time. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for every person that's here tonight. And God, I know this is hitting people in different ways and because they have different seasons that they're all dealing with and juggling with. But God, I pray that right now they would see and know that you are working. And you would just give them a glimpse maybe, even in this moment of how you're moving and working in their life in this season. God, would you show them or remind them or even bring to them their Ananias or Barnabas? that could be that source of comfort, that source of encouragement to them, that could connect them maybe to the rest of the body of Christ for that further encouragement and support and comfort. God, would you help them to look out and step into this new season, to get unstuck maybe, to step into the discomfort. And God, I pray, with confidence, knowing that your word says you will make everything beautiful in its time. God, I pray for the beauty in this season for every one of these students tonight. And we pray that in Jesus' name.